0: Hello and welcome back to The Brief by McCann Birmingham. This episode we're handing over the mics to our media team to discuss a very big question. Is pop culture dead? Join heads of media Rupal and Lisa and strategy director Nicola we'll dive into the evolving media landscape, digital diversification and the newfound potency of social media's cosy niches. As always, if you want to find out more you can do so on our website mccannbirmingham.co.uk or on our LinkedIn page. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy the episode.
1: So in recent times I think there's been quite a shift in the media landscape and for us as media practitioners that does give us a new set of challenges as ever, kind of a new vernacular for us to kind of grapple with and to talk to our clients about Um, and recently we've been talking about the fact that is pop culture actually dead now?
0: Yeah, and I think that that's a really interesting conversation because it kind of replaces this challenge that's been around probably for about 10 years now, is mass media dead? And I think mass media is our representation of what pop culture really means. Obviously, for decades and decades, the media landscape was completely dictated by commissioners on TV or editors of publications, or even kind of like in the late 90s, a few sort of rock star DJs turning up, which really kind of gave this really confined media landscape for brands to tap into so they put out a great tv ad or just had their out of home everywhere and on front page ads full page ads Uh, so it was really easy for brands to become famous and that was it and it was this restricted media landscape but that's really evolved over the last few years you don't just get a tv spot that reaches 20 million people it's a bit of a struggle to get past five million these days but i still think that there's a real role for that mass media uh, it's just it's how it's balancing with the advent of digital that's obviously when everything went a bit crazy obviously Rupal you know mm-hmm. so yeah. much about that I
1: think with the internet and particularly YouTube and then social media platforms like brands then had to compete with not just other advertisers but with kind of funny cat videos you know and then things that were going viral and people's own authentic content as well and it's yeah. really like yeah the landscapes become hugely fragmented um, and it's given other opportunities really opportunity as well for
0: brands and advertisers to do something a bit more different, yeah. a bit more authentic. And I think at the beginning they probably thought that they could do that mass job in digital. Oh, you can do a homepage takeover <laughs> on YouTube. That, this that's is triggering me, girls. It's
2: triggering me. Remember when we used to get briefed of can we have a viral campaign yeah yeah, yeah
1: exactly <laughs> and you sometimes even get that but it's just not that that isn't the landscape we're living in because audiences actually now they can filter out things that they don't want to see they don't you know they be almost become blind to some of the big homepage takeovers until, yeah. unless they're truly creative and um, they can choose their own preferences what interests them yeah, what they, people do they want to
0: follow it's much more curated now in the past it was obviously dictated by what the landscape was it was a limited and finite landscape whereas now now it's so much more fluid and uh, consumers are curating in the, the way they want to, to perceive the brands and the content that they're choosing. And from a digital perspective, the platforms
1: and the algorithms allow them to do this as well. To keep them kind of on that mobile screen or on the desktop screen. They're not just having to look at the big screens anymore. I came across this really
2: cute... Um, Phrase um, or term which I really like because I think the internet can feel quite cold and it feels like we've got got these really big technology giants that you know is it ruining society and kind of ruining um, our ability to sort of like connect and I came across this term which I really love called um, it's called cozy niches and I think that it's just a really nice human sort of way of looking at what's going on in the digital world where people are connecting with each other over like-minded interests or passions. Yeah, little
0: safe spaces online. And
2: that's exactly it. It's the safe space and it's that coziness that really feels like you're in a really protected community. And I think the word community is getting used kind of over and over and over. And has it lost its potency a little bit? Or is it really earning its potency? Because so many brands want to either create a community or have previously wanted to create communities by just getting a vanity like or a vanity follow. When actually, it's really about how do brands um, deliver that value exchange when they go in, into these cozy niches or yeah. these niche nets and the likes of you know and like I Reddit. Think,
0: I think that cultural potency absolutely still exists courtesy of the mass mass channels or mass uh, formats and content so if you take something like succession that's got huge cultural potency at the moment yes it's not necessarily delivering five million viewers but it's got a real obviously earnest tv following actually probably more than many shows of people wanting to see it on that day that it launches but then you've got the catch-up but it has its own sort of communities that evolve off that 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 off uh, off those spaces so it has its own hbo podcast. Podcast, but then it's talked about in other conversations like you know, Commode and Mayo talking about it. And all of those, uh, I mean, everyone I follow on Instagram, I think was watching the Succession um, finale and had so much to say about it. But then you've got the really like little, tiny little groups off the back of it that are probably, I don't know, called Roman's slime puppy uh, just because (laughs) they're so into the show and they really, really want to. And I think that's the cultural potency that you get from mass media. It has to start in that big space in order for it to then have the richness of those communities that come out the back of it.
1: I wonder whether the pandemic has accelerated that as well like with these cosy communities. You know, people weren't actually able to see people in real life and their friends, and they created, you know, went out and found sort of their own virtual communities and hubs and people. You know, we spent a lot of time yeah. w- watching things on tv series i mean i watch more tv than ever like during the pandemic but also then connecting with people online yeah finding new people to follow new influences and finding new interests and kind of discovering interests
2: kind of new passions and things and and realizing that you know while that might not be very mass or very um popular within your kind of usual kind of connections then There's a hell of a lot of people out there. So um, like knitting is, you know, know, knit talks. And um, there's this really cute little platform, well, not little, called Raverly that's all about just knitting and crocheting <laughs> but you know an example of one of these cozy niches
1: yeah things that are meaningful to people i mean there's a whole movement for me personally i was a working mom you know just lots of influences things like mother pucker like she was doing a podcast and then you know the instagram following and obviously now i think brands are picking up on that and obviously working with these people but um you can filter out the stuff that's not important to you and actually things that are valuable and meaningful useful and entertaining i suppose um and in the content that's being created yourself really we've all got access to really amazing
2: tools to be content creators in our own rights as well so when we think about the likes of um, Canva um, I became a huge Canva user in um, lockdown and I was I paid premium so that I you know I think it was 10.99 a month just because I wanted to create all of a sudden overnight I could be a designer you know I can't use Adobe Illustrator that is way outside of my skill set but I was producing content that looked as good as if, you know, one of our designers upstairs could have like created it. And then you've got the likes of the TikTok suite or, you know, you've got content creating going on in Roblox. Or there's just a huge democratisation on actually the capability and people creating really high quality content which is obviously really challenging for our brands because brands have always created really high quality content and it's much harder than how to stand out. And we can't
0: dictate it anymore and I think that that's a really interesting point when you think obviously at UM we always talk about future proof and we talk about now and next audiences and if we're thinking that people are doing this now and if you especially if you're talking to like Gen Z audiences or, and brands who are always going to target that kind of age group and you think about their audience now let alone the people who are going to be coming up later on it's absolutely critical that we understand their mindset and how yeah. like their behaviors towards brands and towards content so that we can know what's going to happen in the next five or ten years I mean we don't have a crystal ball, so it's impossible Mm -hmm. but you have to really understand and respect i think those niche communities and not dismiss them as they're too small to be relevant because absolutely they're that they're they're important now but they're probably going to be even more important or they might be the beginning of the next bit of cultural potency in five five years time as they will no doubt like proliferate and and increase in their importance
2: yeah definitely we, we were talking about me we, about sort of like that shift from that mass kind of one-to-many approach throughout through to um your cultural mavericks of that one to a few and then through to um you know one to even a fewer in these niche nets and when we look at sort of like where there might be you know um comfort for our clients in terms of where they play in those three areas we've got brands that have Built themselves up on that one to many. And I think that most of our brands now are quite getting quite, uh, most of our clients, sorry, are getting quite comfortable embracing that. Oh, we need to work with influencers or we need yeah, to engage yeah. content creators to kind of have that build that partnerships. Because honestly, some of the content that I see that are getting created for the likes of, you know, really high, highly, highly expensive, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the brand of the name of the car. What has it got? Bentley. So sorry. Um, some of the content that I've seen, some content creators, you know, Instagrammers creating themselves for the likes of brands like Bentley, they are using drones. They are going to, you know, Italy and they are creating stuff that, you know, you would recognize as being, wow, this is like Bentley advertising. Nope, it's a content creator doing it with their own kit and mm, i just think their that own
1: enthusiasm yeah yeah i think you're absolutely right as an industry we've really identified that those kind of the cultural mavericks are really a great gateway into these niche communities or kind of micro communities but what do you think you know when it comes to the one of very few like the real niche nets that's i have have you seen any brands kind of doing that well yet there's a couple of
2: um examples we kind of looked at two examples one where it worked really well and one where it didn't so surprisingly coca-cola is on the list of it didn't do too well um kind of creating a a flavor of um of a soft drink and launching that in Fortnite, and the community just saw straight straight through it and it didn't have that authenticity it it didn't convince anybody and it really bombed whereas the likes of levi's back in um 2021 so a couple of years ago did the levi's music project and engaged Discord communities. And so it's all about kind of artists, music projects for artists, by artists. And that was amplified on the likes of YouTube. It went across Instagram. Had much more authentic value exchange with that community with the brand and it had sort of like delivering on truly what Levi's has always been about exactly. which is part of that music scene but also you think
0: of how they use, like in the early 90s or eight, late 80s I don't know I don't want to say how old I am but I just remember Levi's ads were something that you almost looked forward to the new Levi's ad because it was the You'll best thing to that see on TV exactly. in that jeans in the and the soundtrack and Flat Eric the soundtracks exactly. that is the ultimate in cultural potency because whatever Song was on the Levi's ad, went straight to number one, and you recorded it man. on Sunday night on your, yeah, <laughs> on exactly. your, ta- your tape deck. Um, I don't know what I you're mean. talking about.
2: <laughs> as a brand, Levi's are still doing exactly. the, the the mass, and they're still doing the cultural
0: maverick stuff really, really well. Exactly. Almost always comes down to some kind of balancing act, doesn't it? And it's about be, getting it right on in all of those areas. And I think that again, not to bang that future proof thing, but we that's what we we need to do. You need to think about what's what's built. Building it in the long term but also what what's resonating here and now what's going to make people be interested right now to your in, into your brand and that's why you do need to kind of be able to tick all of the boxes the niche nets the those mavericks in the middle and, and still get it right on a grand scale mm-hmm. yeah we've got a um we've got a really cool new tool that's coming out
2: very soon where we look at how consumers flow through a journey and really to for brands to grow they really need to win in culture community and commerce so we really need to think about how we win um people's minds how we win their hearts and how we win their wallets and what we're now able to do with the new 3c profiler tool is we can objectively look at the weights and the effects and how successful our clients are, but also our clients versus the category at how well they are landing in culture, how well they are building community, and how well they are winning at that commercial sort of, um, yeah. in the battleground of, yeah. of that commercial win. And being able to sort of objectively look at that and evaluate and measure where there's strengths and weaknesses, then that really allows us to think about what that comms task is and how we tap into all of the different sort of uh, channels that we have available to us because of course like you said Lisa mass isn't isn't dead we just need to make sure that we're measuring the success of those mass connections in the right way so yeah it's I'm excited for the change I'm always excited
0: about the change that's why I love working in this industry (laughs) you you love things like this Nicola you always do but I think exactly you're exactly right because uh, we have to have those kind of tools that will validate the decisions that we make that make it feel less risky to try these new things but also I think the really important thing is thinking about the KPIs and the measurement because we had very clear KPIs back in the day because it was basically a numbers reach. game. Just get, just get a load of reach. And that's changed. Digital brought with it so many things you could measure and everyone's like, oh, digital's amazing because it's so trackable. We were tracking everything, but actually not necessarily asking why. Oh, you can go really granular. You can really, really target do we need to is that the right thing and i think we need to ask those questions because in order to be effective we need to know why we're doing all of these things what, what's the problem that oh we're solving gosh.
2: if i ever ever have to talk about a click through rate being good when it's under 1% i'm literally going to be like just, just can we please stop can we just stop talking about click through rates yeah. please because as a measurement of success how is how is it successfully proving exactly such low interaction and engagement but and it's about being future proof and making
0: sure that we've always got the most kind of responsible metrics yeah um, in place I think that's a really good word actually and it sounds quite a boring word but it really is exactly the right word because ultimately we're doing all of this to make businesses grow to make businesses improve and future proof Mm -hmm. and that responsibility is really really important because we're dealing with big big budgets a lot of the time and even if they're you know modest they're big and important to the brands that we're working with and we need to be really really Responsible over how we're how we're spending that money, how we're reporting on it, and what we're doing what with that KPI for the next time. Is, like you
1: say, yeah, because we've said we've all identified that the you know, media is fragmented. So actually, we shouldn't be just sticking with those few kind of measurement metrics that we're looking at the same ones for every single campaign. Just because it's digital doesn't mean we need to look at click through rate, yeah. viewability, impressions. You know, we need to think about what is the, what we're we trying to do with yeah. that particular campaign, who we're we trying to reach. You know, what's the most what's valid metric and responsible metric as well. And um, that's why we've been talking a lot haven't we about attention with our clients and actually building on that and what's our attention matrix that we look at and how do we diversify that depending on the channel
0: that we're on as well yeah because I think all of these uh, all of these areas have got their own way of building that attention and re- and generating attention with with our audiences and Again, if I'm if I'm here to champion the mass channels, obviously you've got the those video formats drive the greatest emotion, and that's been proven. Econometrics and that kind of modelling that our analytics team do will always prove the the value in those big fame driving um, experiences. But but it's now I think it is now about how that translates and cascades through those other areas to to, to engage with people that are going to be the brands ambassadors in future years. And that's that's what we need to be thinking. And I think audience planning when it comes to, to mass uh, mass reach was we had a danger of not being sophisticated enough because it was there. And it, it we, we knew we had that guaranteed volume of numbers. There was a danger of that throw mud and see what sticks. And you knew that you'd get a large, large swathe of your audience, but you were really getting a large swathe of any audience. And that's when we started talking about wastage and worrying about inefficiency, which was a problem that I think digital kind of came along with a potential. Potential to solve for us?
1: Yeah, I think with digital, I mean, it did in that we could be a little bit more nuanced and targeted in terms of the audience. But I think in the early days, it was almost a case of, okay, it's less expensive than being on TV or on a cinema ad. And there's loads of scale available. So let's go out and buy a homepage takeover. Uh, And then it evolved, you know, and to be much more kind of targeted. And there was loads of targeting opportunities like based on because obviously with the advent of cookie. So you can look at people's um, demographics and target by content and context as well. But I do think that the there was a point then that we just became too obsessed with the targeting opportunities with digital and became really hyper-targeted to a point of being almost a little bit meaningless and actually not that effective.
2: I think the Byron Sharp challenge um, which gosh when was um, how brands grow is that about a decade old I think yeah. probably I think when Byron Sharp came out with the provocation of you know we have to go after light buyers medium buyers and heavy buyers so <laughs> it's almost segmentation is dead because you just need to target everyone and i think it really challenged our practitioners in media because we had swung away from doing what you were saying lisa in terms of just just put mass reach stuff out there and hope that something sticks and we became really sophisticated we started investing heavily into um you know beautiful audience segmentation profiles and really thinking about um the nuances of different people and we might have had you know Segments of you know fourteen different profiles of people because we didn 't want to have any wastage, we wanted to minimize wastage, and digital allowed us to be able to tap into these the you know these more uh, well refined and defined audiences. so I think when we were all challenged as media practitioners to think don 't do that, just go back to to doing let 's t- target everybody it 's all about light buyers, medium mm-hmm. buyers, and heavy buyers to for make brands grow and now I think that we 're being challenged again rightly so in thinking well. Where is the happy medium? Because um, Byron Sharp also challenges us to think that loyalty doesn't exist. But what we're seeing in these niche nets is that loyalty hugely does exist. And actually, there's a real art in being able to understand the value exchange that's happening in these communities. You know, whether it is fandoms, whether it is um, geek sort of like interests. Are you a member of a fandom? Question girls. Are you uh, ladies? Are you a member of any fandoms?
0: I don't know how super niche. I mean, I uh, I love Harry Styles. Does that
2: count? <laughs> that is a huge, yeah, so that is a huge, so the, the Harrys. Similarly, I would say that my like craft and Harry Styles are the two sort of cosy niches or the niche nets that I uh, personally participate in. And when you see, there's like a secret language that goes on in these communities. And while they might feel like they call you know they get called niche but let's just remember that when you layer all of these different communities on top of each other we love talking about a stack don't we in the digital yeah, age yeah. these are huge numbers they are just fragmented and they are just happening exactly. across multiple platforms and what's interesting as well is that you get some people that might be engaged with uh, harry fandom on one platform and a completely different interest on, yeah. it, on a different platform. Yeah. And I also think that it's really good to really challenge ourselves. I feel like gaming and niche nets have really gone hand in hand and it's clear to, to, you know, to think why. And we've got the the platforms, you know, the likes of Twitch or we've got the platforms, you know, that can really support this quite digital heavy behaviour in terms of, you know, what gaming is all about. But you know, we've got these niche nets covering so many different um, passions, passions and interests: and knitting, cheese.
0: That's food, what I was going to say. Wine. It's not travel, just food, books, and that's, travel, it's yeah. so much deeper and more layered than that. And I think when they do layer on top, like you say, if you take Harry Styles as as that example, I mean. Amazing. Amazing cultural potency. I mean, potency all over from yeah. Harry.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he's, that's just po- he's just potent. <laughs> when I went to go and see him, one of the ladies that works in, we've got quite a few Harry-style fandom Harry uh, fans in this, <laughs> <building>. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in this building. And when we were going to Coventry, she went and did some research into the fandom to go and find out if there was any secret messages that um, the Coventry kind of, you know, giggoers could, like, what was going on? And I just, I just love that. I mean, yeah. I am too old really to be involved in a house. Easter eggs everywhere. But there are, absolutely. And, you know, this very organic behaviour that's yeah. happening in these communities. And as practitioners in media, we really have, again, coming back to that word responsible, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are educating our clients and making sure that they are respectful of communities mm. and, you know, the unwritten rules and the laws of what happens in these fandoms um, or, or communities. You know, fandom is just one type of community community on on these niche nets and if our clients want to engage what are those rules for engagement and I think that it's our responsibility to make sure that they are really clear on what they do do and what they don't do because what we don't want to do is go and kind of upset the apple cart and kind of push our well-defined beautifully crafted sort of like Audience yeah. um, persona, and we don't. We just don't want to kind
0: of ex- exclude them because no, we've, exactly. we've behaved in the, wrong, in the way. wrong way. We know that the cynics are out there, and the cynics will spot it, and they'll spot it super quickly, and they won't be afraid to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely.
2: And the other challenge for brands is, um, and for, for our clients, and again for media practitioners, is thinking: Do we go and engage in communities that already exist, or is our role to create a community and, and shape culture? And shape yeah. culture. Yeah. And I think that, again, looking back, you know, these are this, these are kind of the same conversations, the same topic of conversations that we've had in a, for a long, long time in advertising and communications. You know, do we build things or do we go and partner with existing media brands? So I would say mass media isn't dead or... Pop culture isn't dead. There's always an evolution.
0: There's so much to take in from this whole conversation, but if there are three three key areas to wrap up, I suppose that the first one has to be, as it always is, we always have to start with consumers and understanding our audience. And if we don't understand our audience have that really sophisticated segmentation, we still need those more than ever because we have to understand our high-value audience. Who is our high-value audience and how do we play with them? At mass, how do we play with them in that more intermediate space, as well as in the more the, the, those niche environments? And we—that's why the segmentation so is so important—is to understand the really like intimate details of their lives, so we know how, what their, what their truly most important moments and places are, and the conversations that we can be part of. And I think that yeah, that second point would then be where do we communicate with them, and what what are the environments? And again, that absolutely hinges on knowing the audiences and being really comfortable in our own knowledge of the landscape that we we know the big places to play in but we've got that eye on what what's next and where where are the new platforms that we might be able to play and how to play with them And then that final point, I think, Nicola, you talked about community and that's so important and that value exchange between a brand and the people within the community, making sure we don't cross the lines um, and kind of engage the cynics, but make sure we've got a really, truly meaningful role to play, whether that's just as being a brand in that space or through a deeper partnership. But that meaningful role is so, so critical. So uh, yeah, I think that was a really, really great conversation. So thanks very much, Rupal and Nicola. I'm going to listen to Harry Styles now. Oh, I bet you are. And thanks everyone for listening.